Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill building courses for you to choose from because the steps that you choose to take today will help you to love what you do in the future. And that's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, Joel here, and I hope you had a Merry Christmas. I hope you're set to have a wonderful New Year's Eve with friends and family. And I just wanted to drop this episode in the How to Money feed because I had the the opportunity to go on friend of the show Paco DeLeon's podcast. She came on our show uh, early last year, and she returned the favor. I got a chance to be on her show, which is called Weird Finance. She's also on the iHeart Network. And we figured we would share this one with you as a wide-ranging, fun conversation. She called me a grandpa at one point uh, in the episode, which I actually... I think she's spot on. Uh, So you can figure out why I have an old soul and listen to this fun, weird money chat that uh, we we just recently had a few weeks ago. And of course, Matt and I will be back here come January 1st with fresh How to Money episodes, answering listener questions, having great interviews, talking about the pressing money issues of the day. So can't wait to see you come the new year. Thanks as always for listening and hope you enjoy this one. Howdy, hey, and hello there. Welcome to another episode of Weird Finance, where we try to help you feel a little less weird about money, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Paco DeLeon, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Joel Larsgaard. This quote I heard the other day has been living in my head rent-free. Here it is. Not wanting something is as good as having it. Now, I think the reason why this quote has been haunting me is because I'm at this place in my life where simplicity is suddenly so much more attractive than the complexity of more. I mean, not long ago, I wanted to earn more, to spend more, and do more. And now, what feels like suddenly, I'm starting to wonder how I can get off the hedonic treadmill. This week's conversation with Joel Larsgaard, the co-host of the How to Money podcast, dives into financial well-being from this perspective of simplicity. This conversation was a good reminder that part of financial wellness is knowing what you really want, staying true to that, and that the simple things, while simple, are just so valuable, like seeing friends or enjoying a bike ride. It sounds very silly, but it also sounds very liberating. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Joel. Joel Larsgaard. As I live and breathe, my friend, thank you so much for joining me here on the Weird Finance Podcast. I'm happy to make it weird with you today, Paco. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'm going to pry, Joel. I'm going to ask all of the burning questions I have about you and your relationship to money. But before we dig in, I just want to like set the tone and set the stage. 
You're the co-host of the How to Money podcast. We're label mates. We're both on iHeart, which I love. And you host this podcast with your best friend, Matt. You run the website. You put out an email newsletter. Everything you do is in service of providing knowledge and tools for normal folks so that they can thrive in areas of their life, like paying off debt, DIY investing, and just you know getting the tools they, they need to have crucial money tricks that give them you know continuous support along this journey. You have 35 million downloads, dude. <laughs> and you're 730 episodes in. So now as the person who's also making a podcast about money, I have to ask this first question. How the hell do you keep the passion burning brightly when it comes to talking about money and just creating content around money? Oh man, that's a, yeah, that's a really good first question. I, I think it's, it's because, well, one, I come from the world of radio where 700 episodes, it's like, well, you, you do that in a year of, of work, basically, because people would do three hours every day, five days a week. And that was normal in radio. So it was just like ad nauseum talking. And I worked for people who talked about money and stuff like that. And it just, so three episodes a week felt like, oh, that's chill in comparison to, <laughs> you know, where I hail from. But really, it is, I think, as you know, if you're going to start a podcast, or you're going to start something, whether it's a newsletter, whatever it is, any sort of content creation, it has to be a labor of love. And it has to be a topic that you care about. And because you might not see much traction for the first six months, year, two years even. And so if you're not willing to grind it out, and keep doing the thing for a significant period of time with like very few results, just because you feel like this thing needs to exist in the world, and you actually love it, then you probably shouldn't get started in the first place. Yeah, it's definitely a labor of love. You know, so on that note, I've been thinking a lot about my work and other people's work in the finance space as an active service, right? It's for community, it's for helping other people. And I want to know, is there a relationship between you providing this service, doing this active service and your own relationship to money? Does helping people with their money improve your relationships with money? Oh, sure. I mean, I think you've got to put your money where your mouth is, right? And so if I'm talking about these things, I'm like, am I actively doing these things in my own life? And so it selfishly, it allows me to, for my day job, be able to read about, think about, kind of eat, breathe, and sleep money, although I have other <laughs> interests too. Um, but it allows me really to kind of nerd out on the subject I'm already fascinated by and, and dive in deeper into these other areas of like psychology and behavior, the ways that money interacts, interplays with those things too. And so these are these are places I would probably nerd out on. It just in general, it's the book I would be reading in bed at night or something like that. But I get to kind of dissect it and then, you know, bounce it, bounce those ideas around with my best buddy and hopefully help people in the process, which is, I mean, a dream, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so how did you get into radio and money radio to begin with? So I always, I used to fall asleep listening to talk radio, which sounds really <laughs> weird. Like that's what would put me to sleep. <laughs> and so I would listen to like replays of this like libertarian talk show at night and fall asleep. And the guy was like really funny. And I just I just was kind of obsessed with the medium of long form audio. I thought it was the cool, this was before podcasts really existed, right? And and so I just think, man, you feel like you know the person who's speaking when you listen to them for that many hours over over that many over that many years. And there's nothing, you don't feel that nearly that connected to a television host, right? But you can feel that connected to somebody who's hosting a radio show or a podcast. And so I said, like, I, I got to get into this medium. This is the coolest thing, whether I'm hosting something or just supporting it. And so that was my, I got into, into talk radio and which is, you know, been in decline now for multiple years. Podcasting is starting to eat the talk radio beast, but I just, I think it's the coolest way to communicate with people that I love that there's a million ways you can communicate with people now, but there are so many problems because with, with some of the other mediums, when you're trying to communicate really complex topics, a TikTok post that's a minute long can't have quite the same impact. Although there's a lot of great creators on some of these social media services, you can't quite have the same impact and the same nuance as you can with like a long form podcast where there's no time limit. So we can talk about, you know, anything really on the personal finance spectrum. And we can go four minutes or we can go 40 minutes as long as it takes to talk about buying a used car or something like that. Because 
the, the truth is sometimes you need just a few minutes of advice and sometimes you need a whole lot more and, and there's a whole lot extra that you can get into. But yeah, it was really just kind of this obsession with the medium and seeing if I could weasel my way in there. <laughs> I like how you frame that, weasel your way in there. That's how I describe my entire career. It's like, I don't know, I trick people <laughs> into hiring me. I was just very smiley during the interview and jumped, you know, whenever they told me to jump and then yes. and then shined a turd during the Great Recession. And here I am with my, my career in the media, just like you, Joel. You're doing it better than I am. Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. I am just imagining like how old were how old were you when you were falling asleep to libertarian talk radio? Were you like the weirdest 11-year-old boy that ever lived? <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> I think it was like 13, 14, 15, you know, is probably when I was doing it. And I remember calling into my first talk radio show and actually the guy whose show it was was this awesome African-American dude who ended up ended up mentoring me oh, in wow. radio. He ended up becoming my best friend at the radio station I ended up working at. So it's this cool thing. I still remember calling in into his show. It's called The Royal Treatment. He would interview local politicians in Atlanta and stuff like that. And and it was, I mean, I I love, I love what that can do, like holding local politicians accountable, having those important conversations. And and then like, you know, I'm this weird 17-year-old kid talking to him on the on the and then he ends up becoming, lo and behold, this guy who just influenced me in so many other ways. Wow, that's actually really amazing. Did you study journalism? Yeah, communications and journalism. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's funny because what I do now, it's like a lot of people are like, oh, do you have a CPA license or something like that? Like, are you a, are you a CFP? And there's all these designations that you could have to be a specialist in money. And it's funny, a lot of times those people who are, and not all of them, there's some really amazing people out there who have those designations after their name, who are great teachers. But a lot of times, those folks, I was talking to my parents the other day, met with a financial advisor, and they're like, it was like gobbledygook to us. We didn't know right. what he was talking about. We left the meeting feeling like completely lost. And I think that's how most people feel in the personal finance space. And so they want people like you and you and me, who aren't necessarily these super buttoned up folks, but have the ability to communicate these complex-ish topics in simple terms where they can follow through as opposed to talking to somebody who has all the information in their head, but can't translate it really into to real world how to how to walk it out. Yeah, that's a good point. I take for granted that skill, just, you know, taking things that are completely abstract and, you know, getting somebody who who has no desire, right? They're like, I don't actually want to learn about compounding interest, but you're going to tell me about it. And by the end, <laughs> I think I'm going to be down with it. So that's definitely a skill. I mean, so you mentioned your parents. I want to follow that path a little bit. And I would love for you to tell uh, the listeners what your upbringing was like and how your parents' relationship to money has impacted you. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, really, that kickstarts everything when it comes to my personal finance journey. And my parents are, are truly two of my favorite all-time people. They are, they've influenced me in so many good ways. And, and in fact, like really, them not handling money all that well when I was a kid has led me to the career I'm in. So I'm, you know, no, not mad about it in any way, form or fashion. But they weren't great handling money early on. And part of it was because they weren't taught about money very well. So my dad and I were talking about this just a couple months ago, and talking about his money, money story. And when he got his first job, his dad was like, time to buy a new car. And then and then when he got a promotion, somebody was like, well, you should buy a house, make sure to buy one like at the top of your range, because you're going to get more promotions and stuff like that. And, and you'll be just you'll be just fine. That's the kind of advice that a whole lot of people get out there. And so it led to other money issues. My parents eventually ended up declaring bankruptcy. My dad lost his job. He was working crummy jobs, right, that he has this business degree. And he's working jobs that you don't have to have the business degree to get like working at the, the the grocery store deli, working at the gas station, stuff like that. And so it it became this really, this pain point in our lives. My mom was working a job where she would have preferred to work fewer hours and be be home with us kids a little bit more. And she didn't have that choice. And so it, and I was at this, this really, this time in my life where I was really impressionable. My younger sister, I think she was a little too young to understand what was happening. My older sister, she was in high school, dating boys, all that kind of stuff. And I'm this 12-year-old kid who's like, what is happening here? And why, why are there, why, why is money at the center of kind of the fights and the difficulties? And so I just really decided at that point in time, I don't want money to be a point of contention in my future relationships. I don't, I don't want it to be 
something that feels like this sort of Damocles hanging over my head, like, man, if you screw that up, or you make one wrong move, you're you're in a really bad position. And so I kind of resolved to that I was like, I'm, I'm going to figure this thing out, because I don't want it to be a problem in the future. And, and again, my parents, awesome folks, didn't handle money all that well. And so I mean, it just it leads to all these other problems that aren't even money related. Absolutely. There's all these downstream issues from taking weird advice from a random person who tells you to buy a house that you can't afford. That's yes. Wow. That's a rough one. So I have a big question for you, Joel, right? You grew up watching folks who were not that great with money. That's made an impression. I don't want to say you, you overcorrected, but you've really taken matters into your own hands and you're really solving for not having that problem in your life. And so the big question I have for you is, are you at peace with money and your relationship to money? You know, I would say for a lot of years, I wasn't because I went so hard in the hyper frugal direction. I was like, I got to figure this out. And probably what it means is not really spending on very much at all. And, you know, and, and, and so I, I took the frugal thing to a degree it's not meant to go to. And, and that caused, especially in, in my marriage in those first couple of years, a lot of issues that we had to work through together. And so we had some great discussions. And I think my, my wife is pretty frugal too. But it, it really helped us to come together in a lot of ways as we kind of sorted through some of those things. And I began to work through, my wife studying to become a therapist right now. She's in graduate school. And so we're still having a lot of conversation about this stuff. But like those things in childhood impact you and they can leave a, a mark for life. But you got to work through those things at the same time. And so I think, yeah, at, at times it has pushed me too far in one direction. And I've had to kind of strike a balance when it comes to, and that's, Actually, it's funny, Matt and I on, on the podcast, we always, we have a craft beer, what we're doing every episode, because we say, it's really important to identify what's important to you, spend money actively on those things in the here and now, while you're also saving and investing for the future. And so trying to find that balance took some time, but I definitely feel like I'm there now. I think, I think it's always a pendulum and you're never like there arrived a hundred percent, right? But you're always trying to get it closer to that center where you're like, yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm good with money. I'm saving well, I'm investing, but I'm also not overdoing it on the spending side. I really would love to hear some examples of how being too frugal has backfired for my own entertainment purposes. Do you have any examples? Okay, so what my wife would share with you is when she wanted to buy shoes, I was always like, I have to find the best deal for you. Hmm. And so I was the one, I was like, scour the internet. I'm like, you're gonna get the same shoes. Tell me what you want, your size, we'll figure it out. And she was like, really, do we have to go through this hoop? <laughs> and and she actually still now she wants me now to do that. But it was this weird thing I have. I have these weird, I had these weird ticks mm -hmm. that I've had to overcome when it she was funny, they, but they still happen. There was just a couple of days ago, she wanted, she was like, I'm going to buy this thing or whatever. And I was kind of in my mind, I'm thinking, do we actually need that thing? And mm -hmm. it's probably something I would have said five years ago, eight years ago or something like that. But now I keep it in and I just, I'm like, I have to back off like, if, if this we have the we have the money, this is something that we have, you know, that she thinks is important. It's totally fine to make that purchase. But she was like, I could tell that made you a little nervous that we were going to spend on that. And I'm like, it may be but like, listen, it's I'm trying to so I'm trying to be cooler, more relaxed about it. But yeah, I think it's still there's like this reaction in me sometimes that's physiological, essentially, that has taken a lot of rewiring, but it's still not like fully gone. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations 
get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Yeah, that's the thing that's been so fascinating about watching your own self, right? Being able to observe your own self and how you've reacted in the past, acted in the past, and who you're trying to become. And it's just, yeah, this constant rewiring of like, this one purchase is not going to be life ruining and create a spiral that will cause irreversible financial damage, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and and I think part, so much of the good personal finance work that people need to do is, is like personal, almost non-money related, right? It, it is, okay, what, it, what does matter to you? Because so much of what, what we're doing is we're reacting to what others are doing around us. And we're trying to live a life that I don't know, measures up to them. And that is often what sinks our ship. And if you can identify what matters to you, it, it makes it so much easier to cut back in the other areas that you can say, well, I know that matters to my neighbor and to my best friend, but I don't care about that stuff. So I'm going to instead funnel that money towards a trip to Southeast Asia instead of like a newer, you know, fancier vehicle. But you have to know yourself what makes you tick and where the money that you spend is going to you know, help you derive the most pleasure. And, and that's more internal work than it is like numbers on paper. It's so weird how, you know, we enter into this space of finance and it's mathematical and there's nice resolutions, right? Things need to equal and that feels good, right? It has, a, has an end, there's an answer. It feels nice and resolved. The more you dig deep into the world of finance, the more you realize that, it's not that at all. It's like, it's, we're all like on our weird, like Disney movie heroes journey mm -hmm. of like just figuring out how to be true to yourself and not let other people dictate who you think you should be and how that, you know, how we relate to money in that regard as well. It's weird. I never thought that's what the theme of my career would be, but it seems to be. Yeah. I mean, there are mathematical realities, right? And there are, there are true tips, tricks, ways to help people think through finance that are really important to discuss. And, and it's really important to talk about the trade-offs, though, that exist when it comes to everything that we do. And for, for me, it doesn't matter how much money I have. I'm really, really, really unlikely to buy a brand new car. I just don't care about it. And I've told myself, like, I've got a, I'm driving a $4,000 car and it's, it's great. Like it gets me where I need to go. I don't want anything more than that. And it doesn't matter if I've got $5 million in the bank, that probably won't change. And I think of that as a good thing. Like, I think one exercise that's helpful for people to perform is to think, well, what if I won the lottery? What would I do differently? And it's interesting when you look at kind of what happens to lottery winners, most of them end up broke. There was mm -hmm. a, a recent lottery winner who just bought like two massive properties in Los Angeles, like Bel Air and stuff like that. Yeah. 
that doesn't end out end up well <laughs> for most <laughs> folks. And it's because you didn't have uh, you weren't in touch with who you were before the money came in. And so I think it's yeah, you're, it's going to take sacrifice if you want to make progress with your money. You can't have it all. You can't afford everything. But at the same time, it's okay to spend intentionally on the things that matter to you, even if those things maybe other people might say, well, that's really weird. Like I went to a folk art festival recently. I love folk art. It's weird. <laughs> Nobody else does, like that I know does. Nobody else that I know cares about that stuff. I walked away dropping 800 bucks on like eight new pieces for our house. Nice. They're awesome. But most people would say that's a that's a weird way to spend your money. But I'm okay with that. Like that's that's what I care about. And that's why I'm driving a $4,000 car. And I and most people would say, well, you should upgrade that. And it's like, no, I don't care about it. So why would I? Okay. Well, what do you like spending your money on then, Joel? So, okay. Folk art and craft beer. And I, it's one thing that we've recently changed on is we've come to realize, especially with my wife in grad school, and is we, we're okay spending more money eating out. Mm. And this is definitely a trap for a lot of people. And it doesn't move the needle for a lot of people. It's just about convenience. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be thoughtful about that because it can be really, really expensive, right? But we've become more comfortable with that. For a while, it was traveling a little bit more. But with three kids, that's become, we're starting to, now that they're a little bit older, prioritize that again. But for a while, that was just like, yeah. no go. <laughs> like, we're just not traveling. And so eating out did move up on our list. But yeah, for, for me, to, it's, I think it's buying my time also. Mm -hmm making sure that if I want to work less, I can work less and I can go on more hikes and more bike rides and spend time with friends. Like those, those things matter to me too. So oftentimes it's, it's not necessarily about what you're buying with the money, but it's about the ability to choose to work less so that you can have more control over your life. Do you think that control is, is like an illusion? Do you think control is like trying to hold water? Or do you think that we can really have that when it comes to our finances? It's a weird question. Sorry. No. Yeah. No, you're getting very philosophical <laughs> with it. I appreciate that. Uh, do any of us have any control over anything? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think there's definitely a lot of truth to the fact that there's a lot of things we can't control. There's a lot of things that are out of our control. Uh, literally, a tree falls through my house in over spring break this year. And I've got an insurance claim on my hands and I've got a bunch of things to deal with. That was something that I couldn't control. And I had a massive deductible because that's how I roll in order to lower my premiums. And so it's really, really expensive. Me too. And it's just not fun, right? Yeah. And so I couldn't plan that. There are imperfections. There are things that are going to come along that are going to they're going to smack you in the face and that are going to harm your ability to achieve the goals that you want. But I do think at the same time, there's a lot that we do have control over. And we can choose to say no to something in the here and now for the promise of something bigger and better in the future, for the promise of more ability to, like, I was just thinking today about this prediction that economist John, John Maynard Keynes made back in the 1930s. He said, my grandkids are probably going to be working 15 hour work weeks. Almost nobody works 15 hour work weeks. And the truth is, we have enough prosperity where many, many people could choose a life more along those lines. The The financial independence community didn't exist back in 1930 because there wasn't the financial abundance. It wasn't possible in the same way that it is now. Is it possible for everyone? Is it easy to achieve? No, I don't think so. But I do think that, that a whole lot of people, that there is more control that you have than you think. And I think making people aware of the things that they can control and how they can make those tweaks in order to make more progress is really important because yeah, is it maybe it's a little too nihilistic to think that we don't have don't have any control when I, I think I think we do of, over our actions and, and over where we're generally heading. I do too. And actually, the idea of nihilism is why I wanted to talk to you about it and hear what you had to say. I, I feel like a lot of people are feeling a lot more nihilistic about finances these days than I've ever noticed. I don't know if it's because I'm just older now and I'm looking at younger people who are having that sense of the whole world is stacked against me. I'm inheriting all these terrible systems. Why should I even try, right? Although I do see a lot of like young people on TikTok who are, they're like, they have their five to nine routine, which is waking up at five o'clock in the morning and working on themselves before work. So I do think that, you know, we can't just say all young people are nihilistic, but I'm just curious if you've noticed that as well. Do you notice that people are feeling more hopeless than I would say in the last 
five, six, seven years prior to, to now? It sure seems like it. It sure seems like it. And the, I think that's multifaceted. I think part of it is a broken political system that makes you feel a little bit like, oh, can we actually accomplish anything? Can people actually get along? Um, I think there are, there. it's not that it's all based in kind of just, it's not, it's not fake. Um, it's, it's not that there's no reason to have any pessimistic thought, right? I think sometimes optimists can be Pollyanna rose colored glasses. And it's like, well, look at the facts on the ground, dude. But the truth is too, like we just actually interviewed Dr. Jean Twangy on our podcast. And she is an expert, the foremost expert on generational differences. And we talked about essentially the myth of the broke millennial. This is something that you've seen in headlines everywhere, right? For, for years and years and years. And in some ways she says, well, back in 2015, back in like when millennials were really young, it, it sure looked like maybe they weren't going to have to be as economically prosperous as their parents' generation. But the truth is the facts on the ground now reveal a different story. The millennials have done quite well for themselves. And that's not, that's a generational thing, right? That's not every every single millennial, but it is important to, to see, okay, what's, what's good about where we are as individuals, as a country, as a society? And there are a whole lot of reasons to be pessimistic, but I think there's there's even more reason for optimism. And I think part of that goes back to the control thing. There are more things in your control than you think. When you think about the, the big issues of our time, something like climate change, like you can't change it on a macro scale, but you can change it on a micro scale, mm-hmm. right? And you can change what you eat. You can change whether or not you bike to work or not, right? Uh, or you live close enough to work to bike to work. Um, there are all sorts of micro changes that you can make consuming less, buying less crap on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to help save your wallet, but it's also going to help the environment. You, you, can't, you can't impact what your neighbor does necessarily. And you definitely, you're probably not going to have much of an impact on the greater debate, you know, at, at a national or, or, or global level. But there's a lot that you can do kind of in your own personal life to make changes. And, and I think like we've just kind of, that seems so old school and passe <laughs> to, to be like, <laughs> do the thing where you are. But that's where the change is made. It's in community. It's in interpersonal relationships. And most people, they want the way influencers have grown as this kind of industry. It makes people think that's the only way I can do something positive. And in fact, I think that's actually, that's not the best way to go about it. And you're probably gonna have less impact that way. You might get more eyeballs, Hmm. but you'll probably have less impact. That's an interesting opinion. I hadn't really considered that you would have less impact with looser connections, but a big audience. But I do agree with you in the sense that people are really overwhelmed and worried about what's the thing I can do that's a really big lever. And I always want to remind people, like, you could just be nice to someone. Like, you could just smile or say hello or ask somebody how their day is and really genuinely have concern and and listen to what they have to say. Um, You could choose not to be a dick during rush hour. Like there's lots of ways that are free. I mean, maybe there's emotional labor involved, but there's a lot of ways to make the world a better place. And yeah, it doesn't have to be a gnarly lover. You don't have to start a podcast, folks. You could just be nice to your barista. Well, isn't it amazing too? People, when when people are stuck in traffic on the way home, they think they think I'm stuck in traffic. But the reality is, you are traffic. <laughs> like you are part of the problem in that, right? And so it's really easy to to point the finger and to be like, you're the problem, but you're part of it. You're like partaking in it in so many ways. And so if you would hop on your bike, maybe or whatever, that, like that's something I preach a lot. I think it's really important. That would be one fix. And granted, I mean, that's, there's a lot of people who live 45 miles away from their work, and that's not possible. But I'm just saying like, that is a microcosm of kind of the way we view things these days. And it's like that person's a problem. There's very little ability to, for us to, I feel like step back. And part of that is like, just our communities aren't as tight as they used to be. There's a epidemic of loneliness. People when you read the surveys, this is, to me, one of the biggest kind of potential future problems from even from a personal finance perspective is the the lack of close friends that people have that look that people say they have the that is doing a number on us from a mental perspective and don't you think that comes out in lots of other ways in particular like ways of spending i think it's easier to stay at home 
and watch Netflix and buy stuff on Amazon than it is to go out and get a coffee or a beer with friends. And I don't care if you go to the bar and you spend extra or you go to the coffee shop and you spend extra. If it's facilitating relationships, then I think that ultimately leads to greater mental health, which leads to more clarity around money stuff. I agree. Yeah. The the thing that pays the most dividends in the bank of life is relationships. So yeah. don't yeah. forget to invest in those folks. I Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. I just had COVID. I just recovered and I was, I didn't stay at my house. I was like, I can't get my wife sick. I got to go and stay here at the studio, at the office. So I stayed at the office and I was here for a few days. It had really big divorce dad energy, right? The little air mattress <laughs> right next to my desk. <laughs> and it was so lonely. I couldn't believe yeah. how sad and isolating and terrible I felt. And it was only a few days and my friends were texting me and checking in on me. And I, I just, you know, I couldn't go to the gym and interact with my normal people that I interact with on a daily basis. I couldn't go just like pick up the guitar and jam with my buddies. And it really, those three little days of almost no symptoms being stuck and, you know, reading books, but a lot of it, a lot of like what would pass the time is like watching, rewatching Frasier or, you know, looking into my stupid phone screen. It really made me feel like made me recognize Ooh, the internet's making, starting to make me feel bad. Like it doesn't, it used to, not that it used to be fun. Maybe I was ignorant before, but too much of it is, it's like, you know, eating way too much ice cream. It's really not feeling good these days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, and I think there's, there's a lack of trust in civic organizations and, and in, in local institutions, which is, you know, understandable in some ways, but it's also, we have to, we have to fight to, to be, like be pillars in those institutions and be there in our neighborhood, be there for the people that, that we're close to. And, and I think, yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I think like just a little bit of solitude, like some, some solitude is good. Like mm -hmm. you need some alone time, you need some personal time, but 
connection is is something that we're missing a whole lot these days and and it just it's not the same online it's yeah. not the same when it's you know when it's sporadic or when it's even text messaging i think text messaging it should facilitate in person interaction it shouldn't replace it but for a lot of people oh well i talked to my friend kim today or my friend john and but that's insufficient a phone call is better right but in person is a necessity really if for for everyone and yeah you experience just a little bit of that like just removing that and how it just ramps up all these other feelings in you that that can have negative side effects totally joel i don't want you to take this the wrong way but you have such grandpa energy and like <laughs> that's how i think you approach finances which i really like and life and how life impacts your finances but you're like Get back to the simple things. Ride your bike. Let the wind blow in your face. You know, don't make things overly complicated. Participate in your community. Be frugal, but not overly frugal. And all of this is just like such adorable grandpa vibes. So thank you Aww. for bringing the grandpa I'll vibes. It. I'll take that. <laughs> yes. I believe it, man. I really do down to my core. I mean, I was out hiking my local little um, hiking trails this morning, three and a half miles with a friend. And long, long old conversation outdoors, like I take my medicine. And I think that it's, I mean, I see how it impacts me. And I feel like that's the root cause of a whole lot of negative things in our culture right now. And so if literally, if we would just get outside and hang out with a friend, it sounds so stupid, simple, but oh my gosh, it will change a whole lot for you if you do it regularly. No, this makes me feel better because people will ask me all the time, like, you know, what's your advice for helping people have agency over their finances? And, you know, I'll, I'll give the, the normal prescriptive stuff, focus on what you can control, and then I'll launch into something that feels completely unrelated. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm so sorry to have to say this, but like, get enough sleep, drink enough water, eat nutrient-dense foods, you know, exercise your body every day, go outside, let the sunshine hit your adorable face. And yes. I promise you, like, it sounds so silly to make these recommendations, especially as it relates to the world of money and our relationship to it. But like you mentioned earlier, everything is interconnected and how you do one thing is how you do everything. And one thing has a huge impact on the other thing. Sometimes you don't see that correlation until you start to practice it in your own life. So, yep. so thanks for preaching the the simplicity and things that, you know, seem unrelated, but do have an impact. Hey, I'm glad to preach it. I'll never <laughs> stop preaching it, hopefully. <laughs> okay. So I was watching a Larry David interview or Truthfully, I think it was served to me as a clip on probably social media. I can't remember what talk show he was on, but he was talking about how he always used to worry about money, always used to worry about money, stress, stress, stress. And then he got money. And then he says, then I just found something else to worry and be stressed about, right? He transferred <laughs> it. And I kind of find myself like that. Like the less I worry about money, the more I worry about, you know, the big thing, mortality, like health. And I'm wondering, have you noticed that your stress has transferred from money to something else? I think it, I still stress about money sometimes, but I'm stressed about like I have a few rental properties. And so I'm stressed about handling that stuff well, or, you know, like repairs to the car or something like that. I mean, there's always, there's always something to stress about. I think, I think sometimes people think, oh, if I get money right, then like the stress goes away. And I don't think that's true. And I don't think the money stress necessarily goes all away altogether either, but it doesn't mean that, but there are a whole lot of things there a, that a lack of money creates and uh, there are a whole lot of problems that that creates that it's it's worth striving to become better with your money so that you have more of it and that you have more options and that you have you, you don't have a, a credit card debt a credit card bill that you can't pay right that that adds more stress that's more stressful than the stresses i'm dealing with so i do think that you can't eradicate them but ha so, so i think like the negative downside of not having enough money is a problem, but I don't think it necessarily having, and I think that there are problems on the other side of having too much money <laughs> like that. There's a lot of stress that comes along with that about like the lottery winners, like we mentioned, are the people who are reaching out to you to hang out, do they actually care about you now? I like, I have no desire to have that kind of that much money because I don't want to be suspect of all my friends and relationships at that point, but getting to a, a place where you have enough and and you don't have just really crappy debts hanging over you or you haven't saved anything for emergencies or for retirement i think that's yeah we want to get there we want to get people there not stressing about like can i put food on the table and can i you know buy the car that i need to get my family around those kind of things 
Yeah, you want to choose your problems as best you can is what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And you, there's a lot of problems that choose you when you don't have enough money, right? And and so, and again, it's not it's not easy. And there's a whole lot of folks who need more than just more than just money. It's not going to fix the problem, but having more money helps overcome uh, a lot of those a lot of those problems too. It sure does. It solves a lot of upstream issues for sure. I'm curious, Joel, we heard a little bit about your story with your parents, their relationship to money and how it's impacted you. Now that you're a parent, how do you approach money with your kids? So it's, I think there's, there's two elements to it. One is how you behave matters a whole lot, right? And so how I handle money and deal with it on a regular ongoing basis, how I talk about it with them matters, but it's really like your kids follow your example. And so if I'm saying, Hey, you should be, you should be, you know, kind to your friends. You should be respectful to your mom or or to your friend's mom. But I'm not respectful in my conversations. Like they, they're going to be like, well, I'm going to do what dad does, not what he says. And so, so much of it is is modeling and modeling things well. But so much of it is is also including them in those conversations earlier. The earlier, the better. I saw somebody the other day or read an article, I think maybe, and they said, oh, you should start talking to your kids about money. Or no, I think it was a survey and the average American said, 15 is probably when you should start talking to your kids about money. And I'm like, no way. It needs to, it needs to happen way sooner, right? And it's, it's small things like finding ways to get money into their hands for doing work around the house and then letting them make decisions about what they do with their money and and kind of correlating the the money to work thing because that's how most of us get money is through the work that we do. And then saying like, cool, let's talk about saving and spending. Let's talk about do you want this thing now or do you want that other thing to save up more to get the the bigger, nicer thing in the future? And so, and, and as my kids get older, they're 10, eight and four right now. As they get older, those conversations are gonna change too. And as my oldest daughter gets a job, which I would love for her to get a job in high school. I had one, it was a game changer for me. And, and just because you, you learn to relate to the people you're working for, you're working with differently than a teacher. And plus it gives you even more of that kind of like, you know, paycheck coming in and what do you do with it? But yeah, I, I wanna incentivize them in, in the right ways as they get older. But right now, so much of it is modeling and it's teaching. And it's not just some sort of like sit down birds and the bees kind of chat, right? <laughs> this is how it works, kids. It's, it is more in the little things about what we choose to do with our money. They'll ask questions about how much we make. I don't shoot those down. You know, they'll ask questions about going on a vacation. How much did that cost? You know, like, and I love that the, that the conversation window is open and we can have a discussion. And I don't always give them the answer they're looking for, right? Like, What's the net worth, dad? I mean, they haven't asked me that yet. But that would be, that would probably not just be a flat answer, but it would be a conversation about, uh, it, it, instead of just like, a, well, it's $26 million, kids, <laughs> which it's not. So. <laughs> oh, but how, how happy will you be the day that one of your kids finally does ask you what your net worth is? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, the fact that they'll know the term is right. going to be impressive to me. Yes, I'll be like, all right, great question. Let's have a conversation about that. <laughs> what do you know what net worth really means? And do you know how it takes time to grow that net worth? And, and how, what are the levers and mechanisms behind actually doing that? So I love that. So Joel, I want to know, you know, you spend all your days reading about money, learning about money, translating money, making a podcast, running a website, publishing a newsletter. What's on the horizon? What are what are emerging financial trends that you're you think is going to kind of shape the next few years or even the decade you know it's funny i think what like what we were talking about earlier kind of the loneliness epidemic and stuff i, I feel like i could say something like artificial intelligence <laughs> which is true in a lot of ways like that's going to have a big impact on the future of money but i think it is these cultural trends that are leading us to spend less time with our friends and neighbors that are causing more isolation that are creating they're feeding into bad financial habits, right? They're, they're making it feel more okay to not be interrelated with one another. And I think they're, they're taking us down some dark paths from social emotional standpoints that then lead to bad money habits because all that stuff's intertwined. Talk to a money therapist, right? Or like all of that stuff is how we feel impacts how we spend, impacts whether or not, if we feel good about the future, if we're hopeful, then there's a whole lot more reason to sock money away in a Roth IRA. If if we're feeling down and depressed, like who cares about getting the match on the 401k from work? Because am I really going to, is the world going to be a better place in 20 or 30 years? And if we 
think negatively. It's going to impact the actions that we take. And those actions impact our future. Yeah, that's a heavy diagnosis. But it seems like, you know, the, the, the medicine is a little bit simple. It's getting back to basis, having very strong grandpa energy when it comes to community. <laughs> and minding your relationships. Come to my potluck, Paco. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's, I have the perfect sweater for it. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> great. I'm going to wear my Argyle socks. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Joel, I want to hit you with some rapid fire questions to, to end out the interview. Are you ready for them? I was born ready. <laughs> Tell me, is there is there anything that you've purchased that maybe to the naked eye seems like it was frivolous, but for you is money well spent? Biggest thing for me, we talked about biking. I have an e-bike, an e-cargo bike. It's called a rad wagon. And to a lot of people, they might say, 1500 bucks on a bike? That's crazy town. But I use it to, I took my son to school this morning on it. And we've had so many adventures, but it also saves car trips. You can go to the grocery store because it's a cargo bike. You can like slap your groceries on the back and stuff like that. And it's just a, a much more enjoyable way to get basically anywhere and, you know, get a little exercise while you're at it, get a little fresh air. So I think some people would say that's, that's an insane amount of money to spend on a bike. But when you've got like cheap cars and stuff like that, and you, you rely more on that as a mode of transportation, it's money well spent. I love that. I had a bike around, I have a bike that is also expensive, carbon fiber. So I'm right there with you. Oh, you fancier <laughs> than me. Uh, can I say, you know, my, I grew up in a household where my dad is a very avid cyclist. So I have this history of like being a, a gnarly cyclist for like seven or eight years of my life. Do you, do you wear the spandex outfits? Because I refuse to go that far. Oh, this is embarrassing. I have. I have worn the spandex outfits. And listen, I'm not proud of it. No judgment. It's, no judgment. It's not something I want to try to admit <laughs> publicly, but you asked me, so I answered. <laughs> I put you on the spot. <laughs> you did. You got me. What's one piece of advice, financial or otherwise, that you'd give to your younger self? I think I would probably say don't be afraid to live differently because I think that's half the battle is like getting over what seems normal, what people perceive as normal and being, I mean, this is weird finance, right? Like, so get a little freaking weird with it. Be cool with being you. Lean into that a little bit harder because that allows you to make the abnormal choice and not feel bad about it. There's so many people. It's it it is amazing, especially. So I moved from in town, heart of the city, out to the suburbs, and I see it so much more even in the burbs than I did in the city. There's something about like leaning into the weirdness in the city that's totally fine. You do you, and in the burbs, it's like so do what everybody else is doing. And I, me, I'm like I'm like keep weird. I'm gonna stay doing my thing. I don't want to necessarily be like everybody else, but I see everybody else kind of for so many other people playing that game, and I think that's so that influence it's subtle it's hard to pinpoint sometimes but i feel like that is such an influence on people when it comes to how they save spend and and think about their money and so yeah if you can think about think about it a little differently be willing to live differently then i think it's going to give you more more control more options in the future and just like you probably feel better about the direction you're headed in that's so interesting i've never heard anyone relate it in terms of when i was in the city i had more permission to be myself and in the suburbs, there's less, but I felt that personally growing up, right? I grew up in Orange mm. County, California, which is rather conservative part of Southern California. And I, nobody was like, it very much felt like being queer down there was not a good vibe. Like people yeah. were uncomfortable with it. And then I moved to the city and I was like, oh, that's cool how you guys are just normal with who I am as a person. I really appreciate that. I like that. And so I felt it in the reverse. And I thought maybe... Oh, maybe that was like an old timey thing, right? Because people are, you know, much more open and less judgmental and they're just less weird about people being queer these days. But sounds like it's still a little bit there. So that's, that's fascinating. Huh. Or yeah. And sometimes it's not even quite as much about, about your lifestyle in that way sure, sure, or sure. your sexual preferences. It's, it's just like, oh, a big honking Ford Bronco is normal here. Right. Whereas in town, it, I don't know, it just, it, it was less fewer people felt compelled to make the same sort of lifestyle choices from a consumption standpoint. And it just, nobody cared about what you were consuming or what you're wearing. My little, my daughter felt it the first day at school in the school up here. And there's so many great things about the school, but it's like, oh, you don't dress right. You don't really know what the style's like up here, girl. Let me tell you, let me fill you in. 
and kind of where we came from, it was like everybody does their own thing. So nobody nobody's critiquing what you're wearing or anything like that. And and maybe it's I, I don't know. There's so many things that could be influencing that. But I remember that from growing up myself, like in in suburban public schools where there was that kind of push to fit in. And but the, the truth is the coolest people are the ones who who stand out and do something differently. So totally. You should tell your daughter to be like, you don't know about this style. I mean, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm push. I'm always pushing her to be weird. Like we we always have that conversation. I'm like, you know, they be you, do you, and and people are gonna respect that. And so like they might say things, and you might feel a little uncomfortable, but lean further into who you are and who you want to be, your style, and people will be like, oh, in the back of their mind, they're at least thinking she knows what she wants. She's cool. She's she's got she's confident. Absolutely. Did you have any financial superstitions growing up by chance? Financial superstitions. I'm trying to think. What was um not really, I guess. I mean, I I guess one well, one little thing is just that like hard work always equals financial reward. And I think hard work is a really good thing. And but it doesn't, it's you can work really, really hard as a greeter at Walmart, and your income isn't gonna be nearly as high as someone who doesn't work terribly hard at their, you know whatever white collar job. And so hard work is a good principle to live by, but hard work doesn't equal bigger paychecks necessarily. That's a great insight. Thanks, Joel. Last one for you. Do you have any financial fumbles that you can look back on and laugh at? Fumbles I can look back on? Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing was just, just being locked into the hyper frugal mindset for so long. Right. And it was just like, what was I doing? I was seeing, I was seeing only one, one part of this massive thing that is personal finance. And I thought frugality was the hammer and everything was a nail. And I wasn't seeing like all the good that money could do. I was, I was only concerned about saving as much as possible, even if it meant buying something that was massively inferior, that wasn't going to last me as long, just making my life more difficult. So I, I see that as like a, a perpetual fumble <laughs> for me in those early years where I was just so like so focused on that one aspect of personal finance where I was like, I was remiss. I was not thinking about those other ways or the ways that money could like benefit me and make my life better. It, I was really just thinking about save as much as possible, which is not really a great place to be from a headspace perspective. Joel, thank you so much for sharing all of your lessons that you've learned on your journey with your own, you know, money and your own relationship to it and all the insights that you've gathered through 730 episodes of How to Money. So for the folks that want to spend more time with you, where should we direct them to go on our lovely World Wide Web? Yeah, the, the grandpa dentures community over at How to Money is going strong and it accepts millennials and Gen Zers too. <laughs> the website is howtomoney.com and you can you can listen to our podcast wherever, wherever you're listening to Weird Finance as well. Yeah, no, always, always great to chat with you, Paco. I loved your book and love what you're doing in the space too. That's the cool thing is that, man, for a while, it was a couple of people that were the, the two or three or four people who had big shows or whatever that can influence folks. And now in the micro influencer community, like I hate even the term influencer, but there's just so much space available for for people to to reach a specific audience who needs to hear your specific voice. So yeah, I've been a fan of yours for a long time and I love what you're up to. Likewise, Joel, thanks for coming on. And I'm sure our paths will cross many, 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 many times. For sure. I look forward to it. Take care, Joel. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford. 
a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.